Well, as we've been working through um, our way through Ephesians, we've seen that Paul, again, over and over and over again, is defining for us what the Christian walk is. Walk means daily conduct. What does the daily conduct, what does the daily lifestyle of someone who's been brought out of darkness and been placed in light looks like? What does that look like practically? And we're seeing, we're seeing that over and over again, and we'll see it consistently through chapter 6, as chapter 6 basically wraps up with the whole armor of God in that he concludes with, when a Christian who is saved by grace understands that he was called before the foundation of the world, begins to live his life according to who he is, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be attack. When he's living in relational love with the body, he's living with a relational love with his family, he's submitting his life to authority of the church, the authority of the government, to um, authority of those placed over him, that honors God. And opposition will set in. And then he says, therefore, put on the whole armor of God. And... To get to that point, we have to understand what the walk looks like on a day-to-day basis. Consistency for the believer. So we've seen many contrasts. We've seen the contrast between the old man and the, and the new man. He says, look, the old man is dead. Put him away. No longer walk in the dirty, filthy robes of the old man. Put on the new man with renewed what? Thinking. Okay, we can't live out what we don't know. Amen? Paul's very clear. He wants us to know what we believe and why we believe it, who we are and whose we are, so that we can walk effectively. So we've seen the contrast of the old man. We've seen the contrast of the new man. We've seen the contrast of a worldly love, which is a self-gain type of love, and a Christ-like love, which is a love that gives. That's agape love, unconditional love. We've seen that contrast. Last week we looked at the contrast between light and dark. Paul said, you know what? You were darkness. Verse 8, you were once darkness. Not only were you a victim of darkness, you were a contributor of darkness. We were all contributors of darkness before we were saved. Before we were brought into the light, we were darkness. Not only were we brought into the light by the light, we were made light. We are now light. And we learn that light reveals reality. Light expresses or exposes the character of things. Amen? If you purchase something, you oftentimes will hold it up to the light to see if there's any flaws in it. Or you'll bring it out of a dark place or into the light so that you can make sure that what you're getting is quality. And light exposes darkness. And we learned last week that we're called to expose the darkness of the world. Because we are indeed light. When Jesus was on earth, the perfection of his character exposed the evil darkness of those that were around them. That's why they were so uncomfortable. That's why religious leaders who were all pious in their white robes and their garments and their phylacteries and all these things they have hanging from them were so convicted because the light and the truth of his character exposed the wickedness of the inside. That's exactly what the Christian is supposed to be. Truth and light exposing the wickedness of the, the very darkness that we've been brought out of. That's why they wanted to kill him. So today, we look at wisdom. Wisdom. And we're going to see the contrast between the wise and the fool. Because we, before Christ, were foolish. We have now been made wise. And we'll see that in our scripture as we read. And we'll pick up where we left off. Chapter 5, verse 15. 
Paul says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Wisdom is something that's born out of correct knowledge. And we learned last week also that light throughout Scripture refers to knowledge and morality. Darkness refers to ignorance and evil. So we, we looked at that contrast in detail. So today we look at the walk of the wise and the contrast between the wise and the fool. And here's an anonymous quote that says, and I quote, A wise man learns by the experience of others. An ordinary man learns by his own experience, and a fool by nobody's experience. Now, I've been an ordinary man, and I've learned most of my lessons through my own foolishness. But I can also say that by God's grace, I've learned a lot of what not to do by watching other people. Right? Like back in the 70s when people are all doing their LSD trips, it doesn't take too much of a brainiac to figure out when someone trips out on LSD and they think they can fly and go jumping off a building, it doesn't take much of a brain to go, I don't want to do that. I don't want to mess with LSD. A lot of what I've learned in ministry over the years, I've learned what not to do, unfortunately. The hope is here that we can teach what to do because we're going to line everything up with this, the Word of God, and that we'll do it according to this and not what's popular to the culture. Very important. In the introduction portion of your bulletin, if you're taking notes, um, I'll quote a lot of proverbs in the introduction today about what a fool is and what a fool looks like. So you can use that portion for the introduction, and then we'll get into those uh, the three points that we're going to make today, or the three points that are revealed in the scriptures when we get to those points. So save that area. Now, everyone that's born into this world is born with hereditary foolishness. Amen? We're all born fools because we're all born with a sin nature. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. And scriptures goes on to say that that, that foolishness needs to be driven out with a rod of correction. child left to himself will only grow into being a fool, becoming a fool, and continuing to be a fool. We often think of a fool as someone who acts, lives, or speaks irresponsibly. That's very obvious. But the, the, the Bible clearly defines a fool as someone who lives apart from God. Someone who lives apart from God. Perfect portrait of a fool, we see it in Psalm 14, verse 1, that says, The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. The fool says in his heart there is no God. Now, even though they may know in their mind that there's a God, and we know that everyone's going to be guilty of the fact that there is a God, because they know there's a God, because creation clearly, boldly says there is a God. But men reject it because of the, their evil deeds. They love evil more than they love the light. They love darkness. And in their evil, they suppress the truth that's exposed through creation. That God has clearly, clearly spoken through creation. But they deny that. They reject that. So even though they know in their mind there's a God, 
the practical lifestyle that they live proves that they believe there is no God. Intellectually, yes, they understand. Many will say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But their life proves otherwise. That's a fool. And the, problem, the, the psalm goes on to say that they, they are corrupt. They're corrupt. They know in their mind, but they live as though he doesn't exist. Many people will say, yes, I believe in God. But their lifestyle clearly says that God doesn't exist. Amen? We can see that. You may have lived like that before God opened your eyes. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The things of God are foolishness to the natural man. The natural man or woman is someone who's still in the natural state of birth, which is, which is having a nature that is corrupt, a sin nature. You've been supernaturally transformed into a spiritual child of God. You are no longer ignorant of that truth. You've been brought out of darkness and into light. But even the fool who says there is no God must bow somewhere. Everybody bows somewhere to something or to someone. No matter what they say, no matter what they declare, everyone bows to something. Everyone will bow to someone. And everyone will bow to some somewhere. Maybe not physically, but in their mind, their life, we're made to worship. We're created to worship. Everybody worships something. And the product is Proverbs 12.15. He'll come up with his own way. Okay? But Proverbs 12.15 says the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. And then he becomes the one who determines truth from error. He's the one that says, well, the Bible may say that, but I say this. I believe this. Well, you say God is that, but I say God is this. Well, what, what makes you believe that? Well, I, that's just what I think. Right? God is not going to judge sin. He's not a God of wrath. Well, what makes you say that? Well, I just believe he's a God of love and he loves everybody equally. Okay, the question is, what are you basing that on, right? So the fool has a way that is right in his own eyes. So then he begins to articulate that thinking by the way he lives, you see. And he lives out a life of a fool. And then you begin to see the decline of the fool, and it leads him to mock sin. He'll mock sin. Proverbs 14.9 says, fools mock at sin. He makes his own rules. He justifies his own behavior by what he determines in his own mind as to what is right and wrong. Regardless of what the Word of God says. And you know what? To every fool, there's a way that seems right. To every fool, there's a way that seems right. Proverbs 14.12 says this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. There's a way that seems right to a fool, to a man who is a fool, but the end thereof is death. And any man who makes his own way, any woman who says, I say this is the way, that's contrary to God, they're a fool, says the Word of God. They're a fool. So the, fir- the fool goes one step further. When he talks, he talks about his own opinions. He gives his own opinions. I was in conversation yesterday with a bunch of guys that are in seminary, and a lot of what they were saying was opinion. I didn't hear a whole lot of scripture coming up out of their mouth. 
So I walk in the room, and I must have controversy written on my forehead, because we get into conversations. You know, these guys are in seminary, so I want to talk about doctrine. I want to see what they're being taught in seminary. I want to see if what they're being taught is going to produce someone who's going to exposit the Word of God, someone who's going to teach and explain the Word of God. And I was hearing a bunch of ideas that are uh, a lot of what these emerging church movements are, are throwing up, basically. None of which lines up with the Word of God. Such as, well, we know Jesus said a lot, but how can we really know what he meant? It's this false humility that's very sickening. Okay? You know what Jesus said to people in his day who said that? The Pharisees? He goes, he would say to them, have you not read? Do you not know where it is written? Are you a teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Today he can ask the same question. You call yourself a pastor and you don't know what this means by what it says? Have you not read where it is written? Where it is written grieves my heart. Foolishness. He begins to give his own opinions. Proverbs 15.2 says that the mouth of fools pour forth foolishness. The mouth of fools pour forth foolishness. And then we see the summation of the life of the fool. Sums it all up. It's defined in Proverbs 1.7, and here it is. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. They get all bowed up in their chest, right? They get all bowed up, and they resist the instruction of truth. They do this to truth. They give so much of their own opinion that they reject the truth of God. They, re- they resist instruction. They become hardened and dull. Wisdom simply means accepting and living by divine standards. Proverbs 10.21 says, Fools die for a lack of wisdom. Don't quote J.I. Packer. He spoke of wisdom. J.I. Packer says, Wisdom is, in fact, the practical side of moral goodness. Another quote. This one's anonymous. Wisdom is the ability to apply biblical truths to all life situations. A.W. Tozer. Wisdom is always associated with righteousness and humility and is never found apart from godliness and true holiness of life. That's wisdom. Wisdom is to take that which you've been learning here and apply it to your life. That's wisdom. This type of knowledge, divine revelation, produces, through obedience to that knowledge, wisdom. And that's not your own wisdom, brothers and sisters. That's God's wisdom just being channeled through you as we walk in obedience. God's wisdom. See, we've been made wise. We're no longer fools. Amen? Not only have you been brought out of the dark, you've been brought out of being a fool. If you're a non-believer, you're still a fool. If you haven't submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you're still a fool. I'm not saying that the Bible says you're still a fool. You've been made wise. There's only one thing that can change this type of thinking. One. It's salvation. There's only one thing that can bring a fool out of foolishness and make him wise in its salvation. That's it. Salvation. The supernatural regenerating work of God Almighty in an individual's life that lifts the veil and enables them to believe. Grants him faith to believe. There's repentance and then an obedient life to follow. 
2 Timothy 3.15 says this, It's the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. The Holy Scriptures. This is the saving act of God that brings wisdom, brothers and sisters. See, the Greeks, they thought of wisdom as this. It was it's sophist or sophistry. It means, it means the, the spinning off of, of ideas, the spinning off of theories, just to kind of stand around and act all, you know, pious and, well, let's talk about this theory and uh, let's talk about this idea and just go back and forth with a bunch of gargled nonsense. In the Hebrew mind, okay, true wisdom was concrete. Not abstract. The Greek and their the Greeks and their thinking was very abstract, just a bunch of abstract ideas, a bunch of abstract thinking, and they would sit around and act like they were all that all day. In the Jewish mind, in those who wrote the Bible, this wisdom was not in theory, but was in behavior that was concrete to the obedience of God's word. Very concrete. So becoming a Christian is a change of not only what you know. But what you what? Do with what you know. With what you do with what you know. Living out the word of God. So, in the past you've been made a fool. You were a fool. In Christ you've been made wise. Then for the sake of Christ, Paul is saying, walk is the wise. Paul's saying, for Christ's sake, walk as though you are what God declares you to be. Wise. That's what he's saying. No longer is a fool. Just like last week. Walk is light. You're no longer dark. Weeks ago, no longer put on the old garment. Throw it off. Walk in the new garment of righteousness that Christ provides. Amen? Turn to Titus chapter 2. A couple books to the right. Go to Titus chapter 2. All the T's are together, by the way. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. All the T's are together. Titus 2. Look at verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace, okay, unmerited favor, do any of us deserve it? No. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Okay, now it's really interesting. Even a brand new baby believer just by the fact that salvation is birthed into them supernaturally by God and His grace, gives them enough understanding to live out verse 12. Because you know what salvation does? It's the grace in verse 11 that brings salvation, has appeared. You know what salvation does? Verse 12, it teaches. So salvation, even in its infancy, teaches that us, the believer, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Even a brand new believer's believer knows what verse 12 declares. Great illustration of that. Remember when, were you here when Love Em Up Ministry was with us a couple weeks ago? The adult mentally handicapped, there, there's probably 15, 16 of them, and a friend of mine leads that ministry. And I'll tell you something about that group of people. Within that group was a former kleptomaniac. Okay? This person, if it wasn't glued down, it was gown. Would, this person would just pick up anything that was laying around. Kleptomaniac would steal anything that wasn't nailed to the floor. There was another person in that group who was absolutely gripped in fear 
about death. And there's another person in that group who would sit in a corner, literally sit in a corner, hunched over in a chair and smoke three packs of cigarettes a day, totally isolated, pushing himself off from all um, contact with anyone. But when the love of Christ came into this home, and my friend began to share the gospel of Christ, live the gospel of Christ, be light in the midst of that darkness, when these people were transformed, salvation birthed into them by the supernatural work of God, the kleptomaniac was kleptomaniac no more. Because the kleptomaniac knew that because of who I am now, I can't be doing this. The guy who smoked three packs of cigarettes, no one went up to him and patted him on the back and said, now that you're a Christian, you can't be smoking cigarettes. Okay? His cigarettes, if you're a true believer, don't send you to hell. You heard the saying, it just makes you smell like you've been there, amen? <laughs> he knew because his body is the temple of the Lord's, that he no longer should violate the temple by smoking three packs of cigarettes. No one told him, he just did it. That's the work of salvation, birthed into someone. And these are adults who have mental disabilities. So don't tell me the power of God doesn't have the power to transform someone with a sound mind. Amen? Salvation alone. So what's the point? If you're saved, you're redeemed, right? You're bought back at a great price. You possess the wisdom of God. You possess wisdom. You're no longer a fool. And this kind of wisdom doesn't take five or ten years as a Christian to get. Salvation alone produces an element of wisdom that needs to be re that needs to be multiplied. Needs to be multiplied. And, and that, that turns into Matthew chapter five, the beatitude that says, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? For they shall be filled. They shall be filled. No matter how much of the wisdom of God you gain, don't ever let it be enough." And I'm sure that many of you can attest, testify to the fact that the more you learn, the more the hungrier you're getting. The more you understand about God and what He's declared through Scripture, the more you want to know. Amen? If that isn't the case, you need to submit. Seek. Seek. Seek the wisdom of God. Seek to know the understanding of the Word of God. And it will increase. There's one thing we're called to pray for. There's a lot of things we pray for we don't need to pray for because we're already promised those things. Okay, we're, we're, God has already promised that He's given us His peace. He's already given us His love. We don't need to pray for peace. We don't need to pray for love. Those are things that are already declared that we have. One of the things we are called to pray for, James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally. He wants to give an abundance of wisdom to you as a believer. You already have it through salvation. Enough that gives you discernment to know what's right and wrong, but you want to increase that. In other words, never stop learning, believer. Never stop learning. Surround yourself with people who have more godly wisdom than you. Take in what you learn here on a Sunday and go teach it to someone because there's always someone in your life who knows less than you do. There's always someone in your life to teach the truth of God. And when you learn something and then you go teach it, you know what happens? You naturally retain it. You retain it. You retain what you teach. You learn, you teach, you retain it. Learn, teach, and grow. Very important. Because you have godly wisdom in a fallen world, believer. You're no longer a fool. So don't live like a fool. Don't live in dark like we've learned. Live with the wisdom God's granted you.
And that leads us into our study. The walk of the wise. The walk of the wise. So to walk as wise, the believer must know three things. And there's three points here that we see in verse 15, 16, and 17. We're going to go back to Titus, so keep your finger there. But look at Ephesians. Look at verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise. So the first point we need to look at is that the walk of wisdom must be a careful walk. Christian must walk carefully. He opens up with see then. See then is like therefore. Okay? Therefore, because what's just been declared to you, because of that, you do this. From the theological, it takes you from the theological to the practical. Here's the understanding, here's what's being declared, therefore now you go do this in light of what you now know. Okay? And, and if you look at verse 14, it says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now you've been awakened supernaturally if you're a believer. You've been awakened from deadness, blindness. You've been given light. Spiritual life's been breathed into you. He said, So then, walk circumspectly. Actually, he says, see then that you walk. Make sure that you walk. Walk means daily conduct, my daily lifestyle, the way I live as a Christian. See then that you walk circumspectly. Circumspectly, very cool word. Um, the Latin word, it's two Latin words that, that mean to look from side to side. To look like this. You look from side to side. Just like that. And the Greek meaning of the word, it, it carries the idea of precision, accuracy. So you're looking from side to side with precision and accuracy. Your daily life as a believer is one that walks circumspectly. Precise accuracy. That's your walk, with precise accuracy. See, we have to be alert. Because you have an enemy. The devil hates Jesus Christ. And if you represent Christ, he therefore hates you. And he's going to do everything possible to keep you from bringing glory to the one he hates. He will attempt to hinder you, to get you to trip up, to get you to stumble for the sake of bringing more glory to the one he hates, Jesus Christ. He'll throw out elements of, of false light to get you to be swayed by some false doctrine. Away from the truth. Because that's all he can do for the believer. You can't stumble out of salvation. If you have salvation, it's forever. A lot of people think they're saved and they're not. That's a whole other story. But if you've got salvation, you can't lose it. That's why it's called everlasting life. Can you lose something that's everlasting? No. People who teach that you can learn, lose your salvation, I have no idea how they're going to have peace and joy at all. Because if you play any part in attaining and holding on to your own salvation, I would be miserable. Come on now, amen? I have no idea how they can teach it. When you walk, you have to walk as though you're walking in a minefield. And if you're walking through a minefield, literally speaking, your biggest concern is what? You step on a mine and you get blown up. Okay? So you're going to walk very carefully, very circumspectly, side to side with accuracy and precision. Everything that you were taught in the military, you're going to look for so that you don't step and blow yourself up. That's why we've got to take this and apply it to our life so that we are not going to be swayed to and fro 
that we can look with precision, that we can rightly divide the word of truth. And the greatest thing that will stumble you up is false doctrines, religiosity, legalism, all kinds of nonsense that's being taught. The NIV, the NIV translates this, verse 15, as this. Be very careful, then, how you live. Be very careful how you live. So you have the wisdom, so walk like it. Live like it, is what he's saying. You were foolish, so don't no longer live as though you are. Now back to Titus for a second. Titus 3 this time. Titus 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were also once, what? Foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice, which is a general term for evil, and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want to aff you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Maintain. Maintain means a life that rightly reflects whose you are. To maintain a life that rightly reflects who you are in Christ. To maintain that. To live that out. To be consistent. To be precise. Now, when we were once foolish, look at how foolishness manifests itself. Go back to verse 3. Foolishness in the world manifests itself through what? Disobedience. Being deceived. Serving various lusts. Certain pleasures, living in evil, envious, hateful, hating one another. That's how a fool manifests his foolishness. It's not hard to do. That's what we did. We've been brought out of that, amen? We've been brought out. Walk circumspectly. Maintain the life that you now have. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 10, He said this, I send you out as sheep. In the midst of wolves. Okay? So I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, he said to his disciples. Therefore, be wise as serpents, gentle as a dove. A serpent is wise, man. A serpent knows. He, he knows what's around him, and he goes around, and he's looking for game to eat, and he'll hide and blend in when he has to, and he will just attack. Wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. 1 Corinthians 14.20 1 Corinthians 14.20, Paul says, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. See, the adult must put away childish things, amen? Put away foolishness. A child, fool, foolishness is bound up in his heart. If we're adults in the faith, we've been made mature, we need to put away childish things, Paul said. Put it away. Put it away. Put away foolish thinking. Because you have the wisdom of God here dispensed to you, he says. When you learn it and apply it, you're walking out 
the knowledge of God which brings forth wisdom. Put away the foolishness of the world. Put it away. Philippians 1.27 Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. There again, daily conduct, daily lifestyle. You know, oftentimes our, con- our conduct, you guys, falls prey to the evil motives of the heart. Okay, Brandon read from 2 Samuel 24 this morning. Okay? It says that God set himself against Israel to get David to go count Israel. If you read that same account in First Chronicles, it says Satan stood against Israel to get David to count Israel. See, David was getting puffed up in what he was leading, military might. So here's what happened. We don't know what his motives were, but we know they weren't right. Because you had the devil on one hand tempting him to do this. His motives were to prove whatever it was. We don't know. But his motives produced the fact that he called out one of his men to go count all of his military might. Go count the horses, the chariots, and all my mighty men. Go count them. So you got the devil operating here, working on David's flesh, and then you got God in his sovereignty allowing all of that to happen. And then something happened in verse 10 of 2 Samuel, and it says, 2 Samuel 24, I'll just read this, it says this, And David's heart condemned him. Conviction set in. David was a man after God's own heart. But there was something in his motives that created him or caused him to do this, and the devil came with temptation to get him to get him to do this act which was evil, which shows self exaltation, self pride, this is my army, these are my men, I'm the leader, I've done this. And God said, No. No. And guess what came? You know what the product of that is? Evil motives, oftentimes, if we don't keep them in check, will produce disobedience, which not only affects you, because the chastening of the Lord, you remember it? Not only did it affect David, but it affected a whole bunch of his men, because they died. And then David cries out to the Lord, and he said, David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people dead. And he said, surely I have sinned. And I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. You don't keep your motives in check with the wisdom that we have with the Word of God. Your sin and disobedience will lead to not only affecting you, but hurting a whole lot of other people around you. And he was laying a heavy burden on these people. Heavy burden on these people. God dealt with it. Jesus said in John 7.17, If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether or not it's from God. Get in the habit of testing all things in light of Scripture. It's the doctrine that you can test in light of, says Jesus. So we're to walk carefully, watching for temptations. Walk, here it is, guys. Watch for obstacles of deceit. The devil's the deceiver. He wants to deceive you. The devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour your life to bring no glory to God. Walk carefully. You know why you're able to walk carefully? Because you have godly wisdom. So, walk circumspectly. Walk cautiously. That's, that brings us to point two. 
We have walk carefully, and then verse 16, walk resourcefully. Back to Ephesians, walk resourcefully. Therefore, you know, we know, he says, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. This means, to redeem time means to buy up. Redemption means to buy up, to purchase with a ransom. You've been redeemed, you've been bought back at a great price, right? We're redeemed by the blood of Christ. You were bought at a great price. It doesn't come cheap. It means to improve opportunity. So if you look at verse, verse 14 and 15, they're, they're related. Awake you who sleep, verse 14, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light, and then walk circumspectly. You know, there's a lot of people who've been born again. They've been awakened to eternal reality, but they just kind of sleepwalk through life. They're not redeeming the time at all. They're just kind of lollygagging through the fields of life, tiptoeing through the tulips, right? That's their Christian life, lollygagging. Well, I don't know what lollygagging means, but it's kind of like, I've heard it as a kid, lollygagging around, right? They just kind of drift through life. They profess Jesus. They talk about Jesus all day. They just drift. They just drift. Not making the most of opportunities to serve and to live a life for Christ. Paul's saying this. He says, look, time is short. Redeem the time. Redeem it. Make use of the time that you have here on earth. Time here means the fixed, allocated measured season. There's only one you. There's only one you in this world. Unique. Called by God. Wired. Put together in your mother's womb. There's only one you. And God has one purpose for you to bring glory to Him as a redeemed fool. Made wise. And He said, here's your lane. This is your life. Run the race with endurance the race that is set before you, fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. You have your lane. We're in the same race. We're just in different lanes. You know that? Make the most of the time, he's saying. You know, you look at people in religious systems, cults. They buy into these lies, man. These cult systems, religious systems. They get caught up in religion, and these people are dedicated to a lie. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, the Moonies, all these religious systems, they beat the street all day long because they are deceived into thinking that they have to work their way to find favor in the sight of God. If you have godly wisdom, you understand that you're saved by grace. And if a Christian has wisdom, he's going to live from that place of grace. They got it mixed up. They're trying to attain favor. So you get self-righteous and you go, well, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. This is religion. I'm going to do, 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 do. And then God will say, come on in. You've done, you've done a fine job. No. They're fools. They get under these rules of diets and these weird fastings. They do all these weird things. They run through hot coals and lay on bed and nails and all this crazy nonsense, you know, bashing themselves in the head. And people whip themselves until they bleed. Trying to redeem themselves. 
self-mutilation and all this nonsense. That's dedication. Yet Christians just drift through life, not redeeming the time, just doop-de-doo. We see it in society. Look at the exercise. Look at the culture exercise, right? People are dedicated, man, to running, to training. It, it takes all this time to make up their diet so that they, they, they don't exceed this caloric intake, right? They've got it all down, boy, and they spend all this time doing it. And that's all good, but I'll tell you what. what I know Christians who are so dedicated to those things that... For them to read their Bible is such a chore. <laughs> Let alone study it. It's one thing to read it. It's one thing to know what the heck you're reading. Guys will spend time in the gym, boy, getting all buffed out. You know? Go around flexing. Women getting all tidied and looking good. Guys who surf. I know guys who surfed all their life. Surf, the, the waves are their gods, boy. There's a construction company I remember. It says, when the surf's not up, construction. <laughs> we only work when there's no surf. <laughs> Otherwise, we're at the beach, right? 1 Timothy 4.8 says this. Bodily exercise profits little, but godliness... Now, check this out. Godliness is profitable for all things, having promises in this life that is now and that which is to come. Doing all the stuff here on earth is only good for now. It makes you look good. It makes you look tight. It might make you feel good. There's other people who, you know, you might say, well, I'm not, I don't even go to the gym. Or I don't do this or that. But there's also other people who invest in amusement, entertainment. And they see that everything they do is at top level, um, top notch entertainment. And, you know, amused, by the way, the word amused means without, A, without, amused, to think or, or to, to uh, ponder, A, muse, without thinking. So if you're really into amusement, that means you don't think much. We're called to think. Because remember the context here. We're to walk, to live out who we are. We're light, let's live as light. We're wise. Don't live as fools. Let's live as the wise that we are. We walk in wisdom. Redeem the time for the sake of who you are and whose you are. First Peter 1.17 Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Your time is short, brothers and sisters. Our time is very short. And the question is, are we pouring into the time that I am here on earth and what's around me, or am I pouring in in developing the time that God has allotted me for the sake of the furtherance of the kingdom. Hebrews 12.1, I said it earlier, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Run it with what? Endurance. See, we're in a marathon, guys. Not a sprint. A marathon. James 4.14, for what is your life? It is even a vapor. It's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Vanishes away. See, sacrifice for the believer cannot be looked at as what you're giving up. 
If you think, well, I'm sacrificing this for Jesus, and I'm sacrificing this for Jesus, and I've been sacrificing this so I can serve the church and all this, if, if that's your perspective, don't bother. We ought to grow to the place of maturity that says, look, I'm sacrificing this because it's getting in the way of me doing this for the kingdom. This is getting in the way. Rather than, oh, woe is me, I've given up this and that for Jesus. That's just private in and of itself. I'm giving this up because this is getting in the way of furthering the kingdom. Because God's gifted me to do this for this portion of time, for His glory, for His honor. I'll get my reward in heaven. My reward will be in heaven. I see this uh, examples of maturing faith around my life, with people in my life. I spend time with a group of men here in the church trying to develop them in church leadership and what it is to, to be a leader in the church and what, it, what eldership even means. And what I've been encouraged by, and I've told them this, is listening to their conversations over the last seven months that I've been here. That their conversations are one of just maturing growth. Things they read. Doctrines that they're understanding about Scripture. And listening to them dialogue is blowing me away. I just sit there and totally enjoy it, totally blessed by it. They're maturing. I'm listening to them. They go out and invest in these iPods, and instead of listening to ESPN and everything that's going on in sports these days, they listen to sermons all day now. They, they take their time at lunch, and they're talking about all these great preachers that are living today, and some that are dead, which is really cool. And they dialogue over all this great teaching that they're learning. That's just a form of maturity that, that is being reflected through their life and what they're talking about, what they're giving their time to. It's awesome. One thing we can do as believers is, you know, redeem the time every day. Find out when the best part of your day is. Find out and learn what the best time of the day that your mind is fresh for the sake of reading and spending time with God. Find out where you can concentrate best in time of prayer. And let your day be filled with having a God consciousness. Being conscious of God every day throughout the day. Saturating your mind with scriptures and with truth. With wisdom. Forsake the foolishness of the world. You know, you'll listen to music and you'll find yourself singing that song all day. This, is, this thing is intricate. The mind is intricate, man. It's, wow, it's way beyond our what we can even imagine. So you want to saturate it with truth. Saturate it with truth. Live out what you're saturating your mind with, which is truth, not with the foolishness of the world. Redeem the time. Make the most of the time, because Paul said the days are evil. In Paul's time, the days were evil, and that Roman persecution was on its way. And you know what? I'll tell you one thing. If physical persecution set in today against the church in our society, okay, Churches wouldn't be as full as they are today. Okay? Because persecution will soon prove who the sheep and the goats are. Because the goats will run out the door. Back to the foolishness way, foolish ways of the world. That will determine who's really the church. So don't waste opportunities. Redeem the time. Reveal the way of the wise by the way you live. Make the most of every opportunity. Your opportunity in time is that piece of time, or I should say this, the opportunity in time is what that piece of time is to eternity. In other words, you, don't, you can't live in the past, you can't live in the future, all you have is what? 
now. So I have to redeem now for the glory of God. Don't worry about what's behind you, right? For it's gone, it's done. Look forward, move forward. You fall into sin, confess it, repent, get up and move on. Redeem the time now, redeem the time now for the glory of God. Don't waste the opportunities. Napoleon said this, a great warrior, and I quote, There is in the midst of every great battle a 10 to 15 minute time period that is the crucial point. You take that period, you win the battle. Lose it, you'll be defeated. See, that's what we have to do. Man, you're in a war. We're in a war. We have to be warriors for Christ. We're saved, we're redeemed, we've been given wisdom, we need to live out that wisdom. Take the time on earth, make it last for eternity. I hope to God and I pray to Him that what I'm doing is, is storing up an effective work in heaven for His glory. That I'm making the most of my time on earth. Because you know what? There's going to be suffering in them. 1 Corinthians 3. Those who build what they do down here, we're all in the foundation. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, he says this. He said, the work that we do on earth will be revealed as to what it re what really was. We'll see what people's motives were when we get to heaven. Okay? We're not going to be judged for sin as believers. We're going to be judged for what we do in redeeming the time here on earth. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. So will there be suffering in heaven for the believer? It says right there. On that day when we stand before the great Bema Seat of Judgment, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved yet as though through fire. In other words, he's going to smell like he came through hell, but he's there. He's going to suffer loss. Let's not suffer loss when we stand before the King in glory. We want to receive rewards, and those rewards are to bring glory to God. So we need to redeem the time. We need to redeem the time. Make the most of every opportunity that God gives you, believer. Every opportunity. And that leads us to point three, verse 17. This must be a walk that is relational. Therefore, do not be unwise... But understand what the will of the Lord is. To understand the will of God. Now, we work our way through, and we get to this second point about redeeming the time. And a lot of time, you got some people who they, they love God. They love the Lord. God-loving folks. They get to this point, and they begin to panic. Like, oh, my goodness, I haven't been redeeming the time. I'm a wretched, rotten Christian. They get all nervous, and they get all down. But, see, this is a great verse of hope and confidence. Because look at it. Look at it again. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand God's will. Security, confidence, all are on this verse. The will of God. Okay, because the days are evil. We don't want to get panicky. Okay? You don't want to run out the door after service today in all different directions, right? Because it leads to a split personality. Amen? We don't need to run out the doors individually in different directions. We don't need to run out the doors and say, man, I need to start doing for the kingdom and just start doing a bunch of work out of panic. That's foolishness. The wise man, the wise woman in Christ, before they do that, they understand what the will of the Lord is. To know the will of God. 
but we're gonna we're gonna let that unfold for us here in a minute. There's all kinds of churches, you guys, that do all kinds of stuff. All kind, they're busy. Okay, just because churches are busy doing all kinds of stuff doesn't mean that they're in the will of God. Just because churches do all kinds of busy work does not mean that God is being glorified through all that busy work. Trust me. Trust me. Believe me. If you do these two things in the church, okay, look, you spend time, leadership, teaching God's people, God's truth, so that they can stand on what they believe, know what they believe, communicate what they believe, and live out what they believe, what's that going to lead to? Having a desire for the lost. Saving souls. We don't save them, but we present the gospel of Christ. Soul winners for Jesus Christ. If you focus on those two things in a church, the majority of the other stuff you can throw in the trash can. Trust me. Because the Bible only speaks about, the Bible doesn't talk about surfing ministries or bicycle ministries or football ministries or baseball ministries or, or uh, fill in the blank. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, but the focus becomes more of a fellowship of just hanging out and then we put ministry on it to make it look like we're doing all this stuff when it's no stuff at all. If we're going to redeem the time, we need to do it with wisdom, amen? With understanding. And if we understand what the will of God is, we're going to be effective ministers of the gospel. Throw all the other stuff in the trash. Because when a Christian is walking in the Spirit, full of the Spirit, understanding and having the knowledge of God according to the Scriptures, he'll have an urgent desire to reach the lost. He'll have an urgent desire to train up new converts that God converts. That'll be the urgency. You'll see maturity in the church. Confidence in Christ through the church, an evangelistic lifestyle for the believer that will in, in turn reach the lost by the power of the Holy Spirit. We learn His will. How do you learn God's will? You begin by gathering facts. Gathering the facts of His Word. You examine them. You weigh them in light of your life. It's very important. You pray for his wisdom. We read that in James. Pray for godly wisdom. God doesn't want us to just know his will, guys. He wants us to what? Understand it. Knowing and understanding are two different things. You can, you can know a certain formula or you can know a certain concept and you can verbalize it, but to understand it and to grasp it is to put it in operation. To function. To function within it. Don't so we have let's not play the fool, amen? So how does a Christian play the fool? Here's how the Christian plays the fool. We're gonna look at the negative and then we're gonna wrap up with the positive so you walk out edified. So how how does a Christian play the fool? Number one, by not believing. Number one, not believing. Remember the road out of Emmaus? Jesus is resurrected, he's walking down the road, he meets two travelers that are on the road to Emmaus. He's walking with them. He says, why are you so grieved? What are you, a stranger to the land? Do you not know all about Jesus and Nazareth and how he taught and did all these miracles and he was crucified and died and now they're saying he raised from the dead? I don't know. Really? Why don't you tell me about that, Jesus said. And you know what Jesus did? Beginning in the Old Testament with Moses and the prophets began to declare everything about himself through the scriptures. That's doctrine. 
That's correct teaching. Giving clarity to what the text meant by what it said. That's what Jesus was doing. You know what he said to him? He said, oh, foolish and slow to believe. By what? Not taking God at his word. Scriptures declared that the Messiah would raise the third day. Jesus said numerous times, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of man, crucified and raised the third day. Come on now. Huh? Victory. That's what he taught. So number one is not believing. Number two is disobedience. Disobedience. This is how a Christian plays the fool. Disobedience. The Galatians, you know what they did? They learned about grace. They learned about the only way to heaven is through faith, by grace and faith alone. You know what they fell back into? Legalism. You know what he said to them? Oh, foolish. Galatians. Who's bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Who has bewitched you? Disobedience. Number three is a desire for the wrong things. A desire for the wrong things. A Christian plays the fool by having a desire for the wrong things. First Timothy 6, 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into, temp- into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Desiring the wrong things. So desire always leads to number four, doing the wrong things. Doing the wrong things. James 3.16 For where there is envy and self-seeking, where those exist, here it is guys, confusion and every evil thing are there. Are you a believer and your life is filled with confusion and evil? A lot of times you can learn a lot by going backwards in the scripture. So if confusion and every evil thing are there in your life, go backwards. Then you have envy and self-seeking in your heart. Envy and self-seeking exist within you. And it leads to confusion and every evil thing. But, now here's the hope. Wisdom that is from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, and here it is, guys, willing to yield. Willing to back up and say, God, my way is not the right way. Your way is the highway of holiness. Step ahead of me, and may I now follow you in the highway of holiness, Isaiah says. Highway of holiness. A lot of Christians have Bibles. They blow the dust off them on Sunday morning. So they can walk in church with it under their arm. They don't believe it. A lot of Christians desire the things of the world. They desire worldliness. And that's a life that does not and will not manifest godly wisdom. Because a life of disobedience will not manifest the wisdom that we're learning about today. It just won't. It won't. Regular disobedience. There's no fruit. Limited fruit. Remember last week? There's life in the vine. And where there's life, there's fruit. Where there's no fruit, there is no life. No argument. Arguments with the scripture. A lot of people have time, a lot of people have trouble with the messenger when their real problem is with the message. And if you think you have a problem with the messenger, the problem is really with the message, and the problem with the message is having a problem with God. That's bottom line. The problem's not with the messenger. The messenger's bringing it right. The problem's with God who spoke forth the message. Now, getting back to our verse here. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. When you understand what God's will is and what God's will is for your life, you'll get so much done that you won't even realize you're getting a whole bunch done. 
for the kingdom. It'll just be a product of your life in every facet of your life. See, guys, believers, look, life is ministry. We see facets of ministry within the church that serves one another as we come in. Someone made the coffee this morning. Someone hands you a bulletin. Someone greets you. Someone hopefully seeks you. Um, someone prepares all this stuff during the week. Someone sits up there and does the sound and provides all this. Someone preaches the word of God. Someone comes up and cleans during the week. Someone watches the children. Someone teaches the still children. All of that takes a lot of work. That's just a small facet of ministry. That's for one day of gathering. Ministry is what happens in your homes. Ministry is what happens in your work. Ministry is what happens in you and through you in all of life. That's ministry. Ministry don't start on Sunday and end on Sunday. Ministry is Sunday through Saturday. That's ministry. If you get that down, you're walking in godly wisdom. God's will. Let's say, okay, what's God's will for my life? Now, I shared this with the men yesterday, and I wanted to add it to the message today. When you know God's will, you can confidently... Live it out. Here's God's will through scriptures. God's will. This is the positive now. We're wrapping up with the positive. We're coming to a conclusion. Okay? Verse 18, chapter 5. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We're going to look at that one verse next week, so we'll take care of that next week. God's will is that the saved person walks full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. That a Christian is filled with the Spirit. That's obedience, bottom line. Point number two, 1 Timothy 2, 3. God our Savior, okay, speaking of Christ, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's desire that salvation comes to those that he wills. Okay? We have to be concerned about getting the message out. We have to be concerned about being the message so that we can be the messenger. Those God's call, life will be birthed into them sooner or later. You don't have to worry about who and who, who is, who isn't, who will be. We just live it, we speak it. Salvation. That's the evangelistic side. That's His will. First point three, First Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification means to be what? Set apart unto... Holiness, that you're continually growing in holiness. That's God's will for your life. Okay? So we have being filled with the Spirit, salvation to the lost, evangelism, sanctification, you're continually growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, and number four is your submission to church, to family, to work, to government. We're called to submit to the leaders of the church. We're called to submit to one another in marriage. Children are called to submit to their parents, wives to their husbands, husbands also to their wives. We're called to submit to our bosses. We're called to submit to our government, whether you like it or not. Come on now. First Peter 2.13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. You're doing it for him. Whether to kings is supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. Submission. First Peter 5.10. Another part of the will of God for your life and my life as believers is suffering. That's tough. First Peter 5.10. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. 
In this world, Jesus said, you will, you will suffer. You will suffer. And then finally, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. For the believer, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. See, when one lives like that, you know what you can do in ministry? Anything. Anything. Because when you're walking in the Spirit, you're not going to be wanting to operate outside of the area in which you're gifted in. And you're not going to be prideful and buffed up to want to go do something you're not gifted for. You're going to serve according to the way God has gifted you, wired you, and all that. Because here's what Psalm 37.4 says. It says, when you do all the things we just learned, you're delighting yourself in the Lord. And Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. So when you desire... God, and you desire yourself in Him, you're going to walk in obedience, which means you're walking in wisdom, and then He'll bless you with the desires of your heart. He will put on your heart a desire to serve in an area long before you are able to determine what that is. And then it's a matter of stepping out in obedience to it. The first thing God ever prompted my heart to serve in was children's ministry, of all things. It wasn't the youth. I thought I could walk in there and just, you know, I'll tell these kids a thing or two. These strapping lads that are 15, 16. You know, it's two and three-year-olds. That's who I ended up serving for three and a half years. That was my first flock. Two and three-year-olds. So God had brought me to a place of humility to realize that, hmm, this is where he wants me to serve. Walking in obedience, doing these things. And I thought, at first, the first week, I was like, man, this stinks. A bunch of snot-nosed little kids running around, screaming, wiping their snot all over me and crying for their mom. You know, but soon as I settled down in it, God brought some great, great assistance. And, um, and I served in that class for three and a half years, 30 kids at a time. Did, would just listen to everything I said, teach them the Word of God, and it was awesome. They can understand the Word of God, I'll tell you that. So let me close with this reading, Romans 13. Let me close with this. Just listen to this. Mark it down, Romans 13, verse 11. And do this, knowing the time. That now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Look, guys, there's a church that needs to be built up. That's what edified means. Church that needs to be built up. There's a world that needs to be won to Christ. And there's a God that we serve that must be glorified. He deserves to be glorified. And there's no time for dullness in the Christian life. No time for dullness. No time for meaningless activity. Amen? So the the point... Because you're wise and you have godly wisdom, don't walk as a fool. Let's not walk as the foolish. Let's walk as the wise. And let's reflect the character, the love, and the light of Christ for His glory. And we will be, what the Scripture says, wise walking circumspectly, not as fools. We live in a fool's paradise, guys. So if we've got eternal, everlasting wisdom, we need to dispense that wisdom 
by the way we live and that which we speak. Amen? That's the edifying word of the Lord today. So let's close in prayer. And I pray that you'll be blessed to apply these great principles to your life and these principles to my life. Father, your word is very humbling. Because we know, Lord, that although you redeemed us, you bought us back at a great price, just that fact alone ought to humble us before you on a moment-by-moment basis. But yet that sin in us fights, struggles, Lord. And oh, the wicked man that I am, as Paul said, who would deliver me from this body of death? Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for, for your forgiveness that daily cleanses us. Lord, I pray for these dear people that they would be edified and built up to walk in the wisdom that's been granted them through the redeeming work of you supernaturally by the finished work of your Son, to be diligent to redeem the time that we have on a day-by-day basis, to walk in the wisdom granted to us by the power of the Spirit, the knowledge of the Word, to be light in the midst of darkness. And I pray, Lord, that we would see the supernatural work of your Spirit build up your church, Give your people in this church a passion to share the truth that we would see the saved, the lost become saved and enfolded into this body for your glory. Lord, bless these people. Strengthen them with might. Not their own might nor strength, but the power of the Spirit. Say it the Lord. And we pray these things by faith. In Christ's name, amen.